Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. If you want this to be the best year of your life, then it has to be the best year of your life spiritually. Pastor Chris Hodges shared with us that we are eternal spiritual beings having a temporary experience, physical experience on earth. Let me say that again. We are eternal spiritual beings that are having a temporary physical experience on earth. There are some benefits to getting older. Not getting up and going to the bathroom three times at night. That's not one of the benefits. But one of the benefits is you start seeing what really matters. You start looking back when you get beyond 50 years old and you start looking back and you start realizing things that you were preoccupied with and things that you were anxious about and things that you thought were important and you realize, man, that wasn't really very important at all. I want to tell you that if you're 85 years old and next year is the last year of your life, what would really matter to you? What would matter? That's having an eternal perspective. Today, I want to talk to you about one of the most important things, but I began last week by sharing with you there's three ways that you could put God first. This is called the God first series, how you could put God first every day in your life. How many of you want God first in your life? How many of you all want God to be your first response, not your last resort? You ever hear that? Well, I guess there ain't nothing left to do but pray. Like maybe if you would have started there, you wouldn't have ended up where you are. So here are the three things that we talk to you about as daily disciplines to have a God-first life. Number one, by beginning each day speaking to God before you speak to anyone else. Speaking to God before, don't get real religious on this. I mean, it isn't like you're, you get out of bed and your wife goes, hello, I can't talk to you. <laughs> don't do that. We, we can't marriage counsel that many people. But let me tell you what I am talking about. And, 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 if, if, like, like I'm about to say something, and you know, sometimes I say something like this, and somebody will coming up to me after church, and they go, Pastor, you know, you, you said that, like, were you meaning that, like, for me personally? And you know what I always say? Wouldn't it be stupid for me to talk to the people that are at East Bayou Baptist? Of course it's for you. You were here. Why would I talk to people that aren't here? That was a good place to clap and you really missed it. So if something hits you between the eyes, guess who it's for? Wow, revelation. Do you know what some of us do in the morning? And don't, don't, don't get mad at me. Some of you wake up in the morning and even before you go to the bathroom, you reach over and you pick up your you pick up your phone and you know what you do you surrender your attention and your life and your emotions to an inanimate non-breathing device 
And let me tell you the purpose of news so you know. Do I think it's important to watch the news? Of course, I watch the news. But listen carefully to me. One of the greatest giants in all of news media, his name's Brett Baer, said this. There's three things that the media looks at and how they look at news. Here's what it is. Good news is dull news. No news is bad news. And bad news is good news. Journalists also said like this, if it bleeds, it reads. So what are you going to pick up and what's going to be first on your phone? Three people shot in New York City. A child ODs on this. this is, do you want to subject yourself to that the first thing in the morning? Then shy. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. Stop doing it because you surrender the sovereignty of your emotions and your mind to that which is not living. Like it's, like it's talking to you like, hey, come get me. Hey, hey, hey. It's not. As a matter of fact, and I'm not for everything that uh, the public health services says, but they recently released last week the latest findings to say that being addicted to electronic device is worse than being addicted to heroin. Oh, it's true. So in order for us to do that, we have to start as parents. Because whatever you do in moderation, your children's do in excess. Okay, my parenting talk, Super Bowl family, is next week. Okay, but that was just a little preview. Number one, begin by speaking to God before I talk to anyone else. Number two, by worshiping God and inviting him into every part of my life while humbly asking him to fill me, lead me, and guide me throughout my day. There's only one person that knows everything that's going to happen in your day. Who is that? I was back in the back as I always stand right back here and shake hands. So those of you who go sit over here, you know you're avoiding me. And I was back there shaking hands and a couple grabs their jacket and, and, and I, I just shook their hands going this way. And they said, Pastor, we have a family emergency. So they left out the door and I followed out after them and caught them before they got to the outside door. And I said, what happened? I said, well, she said her, her, her daughter was at work and there was a fire in an electrical box and some dangerous fumes released and, and she's being rushed to the hospital. And I just stopped and said, let's pray right now took his hand, put your hand on your wife's heart. We pray for the peace of God to be upon her. We pray for healing and divine protection of her. The only person that knew this morning when they woke up that that was going to happen was, so you need God's wisdom, you need his power, and you need his strength to begin your day. And, 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 and we've, we've told you this. Listen, if you're worshiping, just put on a song. Just, just put on your favorite worship song. And all of us, like, some of you like country worship songs, like, shall we gather? I mean, that's cool. I'm like, I'm not hating on that. Like, you realize 30 years from now, you're going to play Elevation, and your kids are going to go, who's that? Man, that sounds weird. Okay, that's okay. But my friend Chris Hodges says it like this. Jesus said the Father seeks worshipers and those that will worship him in spirit and in truth. If you can't find God, start worshiping him. He'll find you. So just put on your favorite worship song and just invite. 
the presence of the Holy Spirit in. And then the third thing is, open up this Bible. Open up your word and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate this and make it alive so that when you read it, like Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the words that come from the mouth of God. God, speak to me through your word. And there's nothing holy about the pages. Write in it. Write in it. I have several Bibles I've had since I was 19 years old, and they're all written in. I, sometimes, not often, I, I pick up Michelle's Bible. And she has two Bibles, one that she's had since she was a teenager. And I'll go through and I'll flip it and I'll see a verse and it says, Jacob Jr., 1, 1991. And I'll go through and see the promises of God in there. But how many of you know there's sometimes where you read the Bible and when you're reading the Bible, everything just seems like Satan. And you read the Bible and you go, man, I didn't get anything out of that but the devil. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Okay, listen, reading the Bible is like eating a T-bone steak. How many remember when a T-bone steak used to be something? Where is the best tasting meat? Right by the bone. Do you know what happens when you're reading the Bible? If you get on the bone, something you don't understand, that's okay. Just go on the other side and start chewing on a, on a good tasting part there. It's, I've been reading the Bible, not every day, but almost every day of my life for 50 years. Okay. Some days I read it and I get a little snack like a cheese it Sometimes I taste and I read it, it tastes like a boudin ball from Best Stop. And sometimes I'm eating it and it tastes like a Tabasco ribeye from Charlie G's. But it doesn't matter if you eat that consistently over a long period of time. It sustains you. It gives you strength. It gives you strength. So those are the three practical disciplines of your life that if you do those consistently, literally, spiritually, you will go stronger. Spiritually, you will see things better. And your life will become more consistent instead of erratic. I gave you our foundational biblical passage last week. Jesus was answering a lot of questions. And the religious leaders always debated. The Jewish rabbis, they debated about what commandment was the greatest. There's over 530 laws of Moses. So they would argue back and forth. So Jesus is answering all these great questions. So they bring this one to him and ask, Rabbi, which is the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus says in Mark 12, 29, and Jesus answered and said, the, the, the what? The first of all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall, you, you shall what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your, with all of your, and with all of your, this is the first commandment. And the second one is, You're going to find out why it's like it. It's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is teaching us something that's very simple and very clear and very profound. What is he saying? That before we can learn to love anyone else, our neighbor, we must first learn to love God. Why? Why? Why is this so important? Because God is the only one that is patient, long-suffering, compassionate. 
God is the only one whose mercies are new every morning. And if you can't love a perfect, compassionate, holy God, your maid doesn't stand a chance. Your maid doesn't stand a chance. Because you see, we're all going to love someone or something first in our lives. But there's only one person that will love us back in such a way that not only fulfills us, but fills us with the proper love and respect for all the other loves in our life so we might share it with them. You see, God is the source of love. John 4, 16 says this, we have come to know him by personal observation and experience and have believed with deep, consistent faith the love which for because is and the one who abides in abides in God and God abides continually in him. Now, there are three different Greek words for love. The first one is called eros. Say that with me, eros. When I was a kid growing up, they didn't have strip joints. They had erotic dancers. How many of you are old enough to remember erotic dancers? Is there anybody older than me in that? Thank you very much. God bless you. You don't look that old. You really look young. Tell me what you're eating. Uh, but, but eros refers to physical, sensual love. That's what it is. It's physical intimacy. It's, 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 it's sensuality. Okay. The second one is phileo. It's where we get the city named Philadelphia. Now phileo stands for brotherly love, brotherly love. So let me ask you a question. How many of you here have ever planned a date night? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you did your best to plan it out right? So you, you made a good restaurant reservation at Piccadilly. Okay, that's a joke. And so you got the kids all farmed out, got the teenagers with safe people whose house they couldn't destroy. And I mean, you, you had it all planned out. I mean, you came home, you had Kenny G on automatic. When you opened up the door, the candles flip on. I mean, Cupid, that little fat baby in a diaper flying all over the house. <laughs> flying all over the house. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. And then all of a sudden, you get a phone call from that child. Where are you? Well, I, I know I was supposed to be at the Boudreaux's, but uh, my friend... Uh, um, what had happened is he came by and so I went riding with them and we kind of on our way to a party. You what? Look at me. Cupid gets shot out of the sky like a duck on opening day that landed between the decoys. <laughs> Kenny G becomes Kenny A. The lights, <laughs> the candles go out. I mean, it's just like boom. Has anybody ever been there? Do you know why? Because Eros is based upon emotion. Eros is based upon emotion. Phileo, which is, which is brotherly love. How, how many of you have brothers and sisters? Raise your hand. How many love them with all your heart? How many have ever tried to kill them at one point or another in your life? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you, you will not let anybody else kill them, but you will kill them? Okay. Do you know why? Because some of that is based upon emotion too. But there's a third kind of love, and it's the love 
that Jesus said when he said to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That word is not eros, which is sensual. That love is not phileo, which is brotherly love. That word is, say it loud. That's the word where it says in John three sixteen, for God so, that's agape, the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Let me ask you something. Do you think God emotionally felt like giving his son to the cross? No. But the word agape means to choose the highest good for someone else regardless of what it costs you. To choose what's best for someone else, regardless of what it costs you. Remember what he said? And the second commandment is like it. Like what? Like you can't really love your neighbor until you love them without expectation, until you love them and your love's not based upon emotion. Let me explain this to you. It's simple. How many love your kids? Do you like to get up at 5.30 in the morning? Do you like changing poo-poo diapers? I had five boys. You had to go in there with the shield every time that you went in. You, you pull a diaper back and it was like, no! One child we named Hoser. I'm not going to tell you who it was. I didn't like to do that. I didn't like getting up in the middle of the night. I didn't like getting up when they were crying. I didn't like, Michelle didn't like taking them to the hospital. I but I love them, so I chose to put their interest in what was best for them above myself. That that is the type of love that we are called to give our neighbors. So I got a question for you. Who is your closest neighbor? If I live at 201 Doosan Drive, I'm going to pick on Doosan today. If I live at 201 Doosan Drive, is my nearest neighbor 200 Doosan or 202 Doosan? Well, let me ask you, how many of you are married? Your nearest neighbor doesn't live in the house next door. Your nearest neighbor sleeps beside you. It's your mate. It's your mate. And the love that God is asking you to love them with is agape love. Why? I have people tell me this all the time. Pastor, I, I mean, I've been in this relationship for a long time, and I mean, love is gone. It just, I mean, let me quote B.B. King. The thrill is gone, baby. <laughs> you know, it's just gone. I mean, there's nothing there. Don't you think I deserve to be in love? And I go, yes. And they go, well, there's nothing there. So shouldn't I divorce and move on? I go, no. Yeah, but pastor, don't you think I deserve to be in love? Yes. But then don't you think that I should move on? No. Why? Because you're not the source of agape love. He is. And what you think is, you think that you need this uh, connection between you and your mate when what you really need is a connection between you and your God. So let me give you two reasons why marriages start off so well and then end up so bad. 
Number one, because of your relationship with God. Your marriage will never exceed the level of your relationship with God. For two to become one, half of you's got to die. Now, let me share something with y'all. You're just going to trust me. Do you trust me? Okay, there's a new couple here. I just met you. I know you don't know me well, but would you trust me for this story? Okay, I came to Lafayette in 1979, and I had it going on. Jardash jeans. <laughs> How many remember Jardash and Jabos? Let's go. Hey, Michelle will tell you. And, and you know, I'm from the hood, so you don't have the cleaners, you used an iron. How many remember something called starch? Look at me. I'd iron those jeans so straight. If you got up in the front of me, I'd cut your leg wide open. I had those jabot, I had those, those jardage. I mean, those things were so tight you could stick a dime in the back pocket and read the date on it. I mean, I had, I had a little Hawaiian shirt and I had a little gold medallion pineapple right here. I had these cool like aviator glasses. They're back now. And, and, and they were tinted up here. And when I walked in some place, it was like, I just had I just had swag before swag was ever invented. <laughs> so it was with all that swag that I reel in my Cajun princess, Michelle. With all that swag. So we get married, start having children. I, you know, I get dressed, come walking out, get ready to go somewhere. She goes, you're not wearing that. Like, I mean, it was my swag that reeled you in. Yeah, but you're not wearing that with me. So when my five boys later would come up, and then ultimately Amberly, but it was the boys, she wasn't around then, they would come and go, Mama said, Mama said that I couldn't wear what I want to wear, and she told me that I could. I said, look, if I can't wear what I want to wear, you can't wear what you want to wear. Sit in your drawers with your socks on on the bed and wait for what you got to wear too, just like me. Now, let me tell you something about Latinos that you don't know. Have you ever heard the word macho? Okay. My handle was El Macho Muchacho. So I'm going from, I got all this swag. I'm traveling around the world speaking. There's a line of girls from here to Baton Rouge that want to be my wife. That's not a lie. (laughs) Women's was desperate back in those days. That was before TV got to where it is today. There was no Facebook. I was the Facebook. And, and, and when, do you know what that did to me when she said, you're not wearing that? I mean, like something just blows up. I'm talking to me like, what is my life? Does any man here know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Say yes, you little scaredy catch. (laughs) Half of me had to die for our marriage 
to live. That's why the Bible says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. We were won by the death of Christ. Your marriage grows the more you die to yourself. Too many people, here's the second reason. Too many people get married and they don't understand the purpose of marriage. I mean, it is the second most important relationship of your life. Who you choose to follow as your Lord and Savior and who you choose to spend the rest of your life with as your mate are the two most important decisions of your whole life. That will determine not only heaven and hell, it will determine whether life is heaven or hell here on earth. Marriage is the closest thing to heaven when it's done God's way and it's the closest thing to when it's not. I don't know if you're clapping for the hell or the heaven. I'm just going to assume we're just going to throw it out there. So what is the purpose of marriage? And while you're thinking about that, let me just share something. I'm a big hunter. I love duck and goose hunting. Any, if it flies, it dies. I just, yes. Do I eat them? Yes. Yes. Would I shoot the ducks at Gerard Park only if I had a chance? I mean, just, uh, yeah, I I just, I love that. My five boys, we've always hunted. My closet looks like Lafayette shooters. It's wonderful. I love it. If you've got a problem with that, join another church. Okay, there's plenty of preachers that are afraid of guns. I'm not one of them. Did I just say that? Devin is a counselor here at our church. If you've got a problem with that, call him. He can help people with addiction issues. All right. Do you know how long it takes to get a hunting license? If you want to get a hunting license, you literally have to go to two weekend courses. You take a test. The second weekend, they take you out. They show you, here's a gun. Here's how you load it. Here's how you shoot it. Here's how you carry it. Here's protection. All, all of those things. Protect your ears. Protect your... Oh, they do all of that. Do you know how long it takes to get a driver's license? If, if you want to get a driver's license, you have to go to driver's ed for six to eight weeks. It costs about two grand. Okay. Do you know what you have to do to get married? Come to the courthouse with somebody half breathing, male, female, or animal, and say, yes, and I do, and pay $32 or whatever it is. Can I tell you this? There have been far more children and far more people in this room devastated by the marriage you witnessed growing up than any gun that ever experienced ever, any gun violence ever. Why? Because people get married without understanding the purpose of marriage. So what is the purpose of marriage? What is the purpose of marriage? The purpose of marriage is God loved Michelle Aranza, who's sitting here on the front row, so much that 41 years and 15 days ago, he gave her to me so that God could show her how much he loved her through me. This was not about me getting some. This was about me giving a lot. My life dying to me so my marriage could live. 
Your marriage lives to the degree that you die to your independence and selfishness. A bad marriage can only exist with at least one and a half selfish people in it. Please don't go to another church yet. (laughs) Anything you don't understand the purpose of, you abuse. You know what the greatest need is in every person? There's two great needs every single individual has here. Number one, to be unconditionally loved regardless of what. Regardless of what I do, you're going to unconditionally love me. Here's the second one. That you totally understand me. Like you understand me. Can I tell you this? Look right here. There's only one person its mercies are new every morning. <laughs> There's only one person who will always unconditionally love you regardless of whatever you do. And I'm a good husband, but I'm not God. Only God will do those two things every time. And baby, don't be mad at me, but I've been married 41 years And I'm sure she could say the same thing. There's still stuff that she does. I don't understand. (laughs) And I am sure the same is true with me. I don't need perfect love and I don't need perfect understanding. All I need to do is be connected to the source and know that she's my lifetime assignment till I die. So in the last 10 minutes, I want to give you four ways to have a God-first marriage. And I want to start with number four and work my way down to number one. Number four, by making a commitment to stay together. Say that with me. By making a commitment to? By making a commitment to? I want to ask you a question. What did you think till death do you part means? Till you killed him? (laughs) What did you think till death do us part means? Here's number two. What did you think for better or for worse meant? Well, I didn't think it was going to be worse. (laughs) Did you say for better or for worse? Then it's for? There are two outs the Bible gives immorality and abuse. One is directly spoken to, the other one is implied by the words of Jesus. Those are the only two reasons the Bible gives for divorce. So we must burn the ship when you get married. Burn the ship. Let let me explain what I'm talking about. When the Spaniards left Spain, they left looking for gold and they thought they were landing in uh, what we call the United States of America. Instead, they landed in Mexico and they saw all these Indians and the Indians had gold. So the conquistadors went out and they would go and they would fight Indians, get gold, go back to the ship, hide it, go back, fight, get more gold, go back to the ship, hide it. 
And what happened is, though the conquistadors had weapons and they were stronger, they were losing the battle to the Indians because the, 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 the warriors would go and they would take it and go back and hide it in the boat. So you know what the leader of the Spanish ships did? They burned the ship so there was nothing to go back to. I don't have the ship of divorce to go back to. It's my fallout option if things don't go my way. I don't use the D word in my house ever. Why? Because words are like bricks. And when you speak them, they start growing and they start building a wedge between you and your mate until they ultimately become the prophecy of what you spoke. A wise person, the Bible says, builds their house, but a foolish person tears it down. Burn the ships. Duration brings appreciation. Marriage doesn't get better till it gets longer. I'm going to say something to all of my buff, jacked up friends here. You worship like this, you know. You don't even know what romance is until years and time go by. Years and time. Then you know, they look at you and you go, oh, that's the look. Hey, y'all, we got to go. They give you the look. Oh, hey, I'm going to deal with that. The truth is every great relationship we have in our lives, the ones that are significant are the ones that have lasted. If it's new, it's seldom true. But what's best always lasts. Marriage doesn't get better until time gets longer. That's why Michelle and I love to say, united we're undefeated. And if we don't quit, we win. United we are undefeated. If she and I unite together under God's word, we've seen it change people. We've seen it change our children. We've seen it change our attitude. We've seen it change circumstances. United with God, we're undefeated. And if you don't quit, you win. Good is being great for a short time and great is being good for a long time. I want to be a good father for a long time. I want to be a good friend for a long time. I want to be a good pastor for a long time. I want to be a good husband for a long time. Number three, play together. Life, parenting, homework, bills, extended family, sicknesses, challenges of every type are too hard. For us not to laugh with each other and sometimes at each other. I don't care if it's the same stupid joke he always tells. Keep laughing. Play together. Number two, lay together. Lay together. What keeps us desiring our mates? I can tell you this. I can tell you what stops it. I can tell you what stops it. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what their figure is like. What will stop romance and affections towards one another is anger, resentment, unresolved conflict. These are affection and romance killers and left unresolved. They give birth to the final stage before all divorce. There was a survey done to find out what the final emotion could be described as before marriages end. You know what it was? Indifference. You just get to the place where you don't even care because you self-protected for so long. 
it becomes the final stage. Pastor, how, how should I deal with, with problems when, when we have them? Because like, I, I don't like confrontation. And How should I deal with it? God's word is so powerful because it tells us how. Listen to what Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says. But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to, to sin. My emotions, the thing that drives Eros, will lead me to sin. My emotions will lead me to sin. Don't let, do what? It doesn't mean that you won't have anger. Just don't give it the steering wheel. Put it in the trunk. Put it in the back seat. Don't give it the steering wheel. Or be fuel for, oh, I'll show you. Oh, you did it to me? Oh, really? Well, two can play that game. Don't give the, who? Slanderous accuser. Who is that? He's called the slander and the accuser because that's his job description. That's what he does. And when you begin to argue and you have issues arise between you, you open up a wedge and the slanderer comes and you know what he starts doing? How many of you ever gone to bed mad? Don't lie, God will kill you in church. How many of you ever gone to bed mad? At home, raise your hand. I don't care if you are in bed slipping hot chocolate. You, you know how when you have that great divide, like this is Death Valley. I'm laying on this side and don't you cross this side right here. Don't even put a toe on me. No, no, you don't fake like you're asleep and you accidentally reached over and grabbed me. No. When you do that, you open up a door and the Bible says you give a foothold to the slander. You know who he's slandering? He's slandering you to her, her to you, and y'all to each other. You know what he's telling you? Why did you marry her? Ever since that last child, she's never been the same. If you would have married that cheerleader that liked you in high school, you saw her the other day at River Ranch, she looked fine. I bet she wakes up every morning smiling at her husband. But no, what do you get every morning? And you know what he's telling? And you know what he's telling her? You know what he's telling him? Huh? He's telling her, why, why, did you, why didn't you marry that nerd that always wanted to date you in high school and college? Now he's a doctor with a big old practice. He got that big house in the backside of River Ranch on the water. You're sitting up here dealing with this idiot that goes up and down with the oil business every time you turn around. You could be up there in that palatial palace sitting up in there at the spa, just marinating every day, just paying tennis, enjoying yourself, paying tutors, and just having a good time riding around your little golf cart with your latte, going around to the Rev to have coffee with your ripped jeans. <laughs> Come on, clap. You know that's good. He's a liar, a slander, and an accuser. And when you don't resolve conflict, you open up the door and say, come on in, devil. Lie to me all night tonight. Lie to him all night tonight. Now, there's enough folks around here, Cajun men know a little bit about construction. You know what semen is? Semen is rocks 
and sand and martyr mixed up with water and you pour it. And when you pour it, you can walk through it. But when it sets overnight, what happens? If you don't resolve issues and you don't do what the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And we just got back from Israel. The next day begins at sunset. What was Paul saying? Don't let the sun set without dealing with this or else it will create hardness of heart and indifference and put you not only separate from your mate, but separate from your God. Do you know what the two most common phrases are in every great marriage? I read this in a survey just the other day. What do you think the two most common phrases are? Okay, I love you. That's the easy one. Huh? Fine. Thank you. Thank you. Because when I say thank you, I say, I don't take for granted how you care for our home. I don't take for granted how you work on yourself. I don't take for granted how you care for our children. I don't take for granted that when I bring people in our home, I'm proud of our home because, baby, that's you. I don't take for granted that you look and work hard at doing what you do and, and the gifts that God has given you and experience. I don't take that for granted. So a thank you is simply me saying, I'm not taking you for granted. When's the last time you left a card or a note or flowers? You say, Pastor, I don't have that kind of money. Do you know how much it costs you to write a note? About three minutes of not thinking about you. That's what it costs. That's what it costs. Pray together. The last one, pray together. Many of you know statistically how many marriages end in divorce? Percentage-wise, 50%, half of them. Second marriage is 60, third marriage is 70. How would you like to go from that to one out of every 1,200? Okay, I'm going to tell you how to do it. Harvard did a study of people whose marriages lasted. Here's what they discovered in a Harvard study that there were three commonalities of 1,246 couples that stayed together. Only one out of every 1,246 got divorced. Here's what it was. Number one, they read their Bibles together. They read their Bibles together. Number two, they went to church together. They were probably in a small group. Other supporting relationships. And number three, look at me. They pray together. And I'm not talking about, I mean, you know, man, one of the, one of the best known businessmen with many businesses in our community once, I was doing a Bible study many years ago and I looked over him at the end and I said, hey, why don't you close us in prayer? There's a guy with hundreds of employees. He kind of stumbled through his prayer. And when we left, I was driving home and he called me. He goes, hey, Jacob. I said, yeah. He said, man, don't ever put me on the spot like that again. I said, to talk to God? He goes, yeah, I mean, tell me so. I'm just like prepared. Like, listen to me. Women, number one, talk more anyways. I mean, you know, if you want to talk to people in the bathroom, like you want to talk. Men, 
Less words. So listen to me. Take her by the hand at night and just pray in our Father. Why do you think that the people who read their Bible together, went to church together, and prayed together were one less than 1% versus 50%? Why? Because these are spiritual principles and you are a spiritual being having a temporary, earthly, physical experience on earth. And when you do that, you reinforce the spirituality. Last three minutes. I want to tell you what I know because I've been doing this a long time, Michelle and I. I know that some of you, you, you look at Michelle and you go, she's hot at 60. I mean, Pastor, I, I understand that. I mean, come on, who wouldn't be attracted to because literally. I remember when we were at MD Anderson and they told her that she had a brain tumor and thyroid cancer about 15 years ago. I I remember driving from MD Anderson and not saying one word from MD Anderson until we got to Lafayette. Is that true? Not a word. How, God? Why? What have we done wrong? What's going to happen? What's it going to do to her? How's her body going to react? Look at me. I remember when the police knocked at the door and held Wesley's driver's license and said, Is Wesley Raven Hill Aranza your son? Look at me. I lost my wife for three and a half years. 75% of the days I walked in the house, it was like the day the police knocked on the door telling us he died. It is for better or for worse. It is in sickness and in health. It is till death do you part. And it doesn't mean it's perfect, but look at me. It's the most perfect Thing closest to heaven on earth if you keep doing it God's way even when you fail and get up and get after it again our marriage is the ark it's our boat it's our legacy in there is our inheritance in there is our friends in there is our children and our grandchildren and one day our great grandchildren they're in that and look at me if that goes down i don't care how much money was in there if that goes down i don't care how well known she or i were or books we've written or what we've done or the size of the church if that goes down my legacy goes down her legacy goes down The other day, I sat across from all my siblings. I probably have been around my siblings 20 times in the last 20 years. When I left the Mexican ghetto of Houston, my mama's bar, all of that, maybe 30. 
my oldest niece, who Michelle and I tried to adopt when she was six or seven years old, but just died of AIDS. They found her two days after she passed. And I'm looking at my family and the children and the grandchildren. Christian is standing there with me and my nine-year-old Eli, my grandson, first grandson, is sitting here on my lap. And I realize my daddy was married five times. The ship sank. Many of my siblings who walked through challenges because of things that between them and God and what happened. And you look and you see why in the name of heaven would I sacrifice my legacy on the altar of my own pleasure? That's my legacy. That's your legacy. And it may be the greatest last Christian witness left on earth because whatever God wants to use, the devil attacks and all hell breaks loose against it. And that's marriage and the family. I'd like every married person to join hands with your mate. Baby, come up here and join me. Take your mate by the hand. I want you to pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, come on boldly, Lord Jesus. This is my helpmate, my gift from God. The other part of my boat, that my peace, my legacy, my wealth, and my influence all lives in. Today, Lord Jesus, I want this ship to be floated by my Father and His love. Today, I want my children and my grandchildren regardless of my past to see a reflection of who you are in my marriage now and in my family now. Thank you that my past mistakes are under the blood. Previous broken relationships are under the blood. But today, I commit to have a marriage that looks like heaven even when I walk through hell. United we're undefeated and if we don't quit we win. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed I want to ask if you're here today and you've never been born again 
The kind of love that I'm talking about, the kind of relationship I'm talking about, it cannot be done in your own strength. It can only happen when Christ comes to live inside of you and you are fully surrendered to him. The Bible calls that being born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, you must be born again. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking but me these last two minutes, Pastor, I've never prayed to be born again. I want God in my life. I want to one day have the kind of marriage you're talking about, whether I'm single, separated, divorced, married. But I know I can't do it without turning to Jesus and turning away from everything else that kept me from him through repentance. If that's you, I want to pray for you today to surrender your life to Christ, to be born again. So on the count of three, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up real high and put it back down. Everyone just hang tight for 30 seconds. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Nothing. And now's your time to be born again, to surrender to Christ. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. If that's you, when I say three, I want you to raise your hand. Three. Raise it high. Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Anywhere else? Fifteen. Okay. Sixteen. Seventeen. Eighteen. Yes. Put your hands down. Last ten seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these nineteen, but I should have. I know this is what I need. I know God's talking to me. If that's you, raise your hand and wave it at me. If you didn't raise your hand yet, I'm asking with these 19. Wave it at me. 20. 21. All right. Now let's pray out loud, church, with all of those that raise their hand to be born again, for them to begin their spiritual journey today. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross... You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, And I'm born again in Jesus' name, amen.